Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, all of our hope is in Christ. All of our hope is in His person. All of our hope is in His sinless work. All of our hope is in His atoning death. All of our hope is in His glorious resurrection. All of our hope is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus. So this very evening we ask that you will give to us but a sight of the glorious plan of redemption accomplished by you. Give us an ever-growing hope in the words of the gospel, in the person of the gospel. Oh God, grant to us mercy now as we together think this Monday Thursday about the suffering of our Lord. Give to us mercy that we might that we might grow in grace and knowledge. Bless us now we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 22, it's printed for you. Verses 1 through 18 is where we will take our reading. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day. You do not answer and by night. But I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet, 
You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. The word of God for the people of God. You are getting a unique look in this psalm. You are getting a glimpse in a way in which no other portion of Scripture gives you a glimpse into the mind of Christ. This psalm is unlike any other psalm. Most every other psalm you can find some sort of dual reference for. That, yes, it belongs to the psalmist and it, and it also is pointing to Christ, but this psalm is exclusively Christ. And it is Christ as He is looking out from the cross, enduring for us agony and wrath and being despised by all who see Him. Here, here we have Christ's view from the cross itself. And tonight, and tonight we of all nights ought to feel the weight of this psalm. As we think together on the night wherein Christ would, would be arrested after having prayed in that garden, after having instituted the supper, after having, having spoken of his betrayal, knowing it was imminent. And then he would be crucified. And so here, here we see what brought that agony in the garden. What it is that, that caused those great drops of blood to be mingled in his sweat. We have the crucifixion and atoning sacrifice as it's coming from his perspective. And here your Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth, rejected and despised by earth, those whom he created. And here your Jesus is forsaken of heaven as he has made sin for you. And the Psalter that flows 
perfectly. 22, you get the work of our Savior. 23, this, this idea of Him as shepherd. 24, you get Him as the glorious King. But in this psalm, Jesus is, is standing ready to represent us. Ready to represent all who would take His name upon them. Ready to represent His people as their federal head. And so there's nothing like that that corresponds to David's experience. David did not have his hands and feet pierced. David, David may have been surrounded by enemies, but not encircled in this manner. And so here in our text tonight, we're going to see that Christ was made sin for his people. He was utterly forsaken of God and put to death as their substitute. And by this one great sin atoning sacrifice he's ever and forever put away well our sin this psalm doesn't leave us only in the despair though we're we're only looking at the suffering tonight you can take up and read what the rest of the psalm says because this psalm is really broken down into two points. And, well, I'm only preaching one half of a sermon tonight. And even though it may be as long as a regular sermon, it's just half of a sermon. The other half's coming. Tonight we're looking at Christ's suffering for sinners. We'll see His victory on Sunday. But tonight we're looking at Christ's suffering. And so we're going to look at it under, under two questions. What did Christ endure? How should we respond? What did Christ endure? How should we respond? So we look at Christ's sacrificial suffering. What did he endure? My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? This is his cry of dereliction, the one who had always known perfect communion with the Father, the one who was beloved of God, the one who is the only begotten Son of the Father, who's very God, very God. This one who everything that makes God, God, Jesus is. He now says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Remember, he's just prayed in the garden. He's just offered up that high priestly prayer. And he's, his prayer was that, that, well, we may be one with him and the Father, just as he and the Father are one. And now, now on the cross, you understand perfect communion broken. The fellowship revoked. Dereliction ensued in order that you who had no fellowship may be brought in. In order that you who would have been forsaken might never be forsaken. In order that you might be made His. The beloved of the Father who had never experienced separation of union now, now is separated from the Father. He had done all the will of His Father and the culmination of it was, you, you already know, he prayed in the garden. 
if it's your will, let this, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here's why he's sweat those drops of blood. Now he's forsaken of the Father. He's forsaken because it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He had to put him to grief so that when his soul made an offering for guilt, he would see all his offspring and prolong his days. And so here's that soul crushing wrath of God. It was utterly and totally abandoned that you will never be abandoned. And then it goes on. It doesn't, it doesn't end there on the cross. You know, Christ experienced literally night and day. It was day when he began to be crucified and then darkness fell. And so the father, as he turned his back upon him, in a manner of speaking, and he poured out his wrath instead of that fatherly pleasure. Remember, remember, the Father doesn't speak much in Scripture. It's always Christ. Christ is the Word of God. He is the one who speaks in the Old Testament. He's the one who speaks throughout. And, and yet, when, when the Father speaks, what does he always say? This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And now, now his back is turned and well, he cries to him and the Father does not answer. And certainly not with pleasure in him. Twice he cries out to him. And yet, and yet there Christ is not faithless that he might be for you faith. Even there, he casts himself on the Lord that you might, well, that you might find hope. His suffering is real. His suffering is terrible. His suffering is hell. That's what he's enduring here. He's standing in the naked flame of his father's wrath. Now, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Think about it this way. In the, in the Old Testament, there was something called the Ark of the Covenant. And you understand what that Ark of the Covenant was. It was this box and it had this seat on top. This, this seat that, that had those cherubim. They were looking inward and downward. And there the blood was sprinkled. And it's signifying what Peter would say. These are the things into which angels long to look. How is it that they are saved? Here the blood is spilled. But what happened if you took the lid off of that box? There's the law. There's the law ready in all of its stark reality to slay. Sinners. And here, here Christ, Christ is being poured out because, or the wrath of God is being poured out upon Christ because, well, there is no mercy here. 
It is His blood that must be sprinkled. It is His blood that will be shed that others might find mercy. There is no covering for Jesus. And so, His suffering is there for all to see, suspended between heaven and earth with no mercy seat for Him. You've seen, you remember your readings through the Old Testament, if someone would just touch the ark, death. Now Christ is being slain because there's no covering for him. There is no mercy for the one who will be mercy. And so why is he forsaken? Why is there no covering for him? Well, before the Father's eye, he is now being made sin. You know the scripture. He who knew no sin was made sin for us in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now verse 3 tells us precisely why there is no mercy for him. Here is Christ suspended between heaven and earth with no covering. He has been made sin Yet, you were holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You're going through Habakkuk. You know you are of pure eyes than to behold evil. And Christ has been made sin. Now, he's made sin legally, not morally. You need to understand that this is, the, this is the exchange legally for you. He has been declared sin that you who, well, not morally are fully righteous, but you might be declared righteous. And so it's uncovered for him. And Christ is exposed to the eye of God as if he had broken the law. Though he didn't. But it is a legal exchange us. And so the Father poured out His wrath upon the sin of Christ. And God was turned from Him and now against Him. Because He will not clear the guilty. In order that you might be declared righteous, Christ was declared guilty. The one who from His mother's womb was, was taken sinless, perfect, spotless, Never sinned in thought, word, or deed. You know, don't you? In all of the ways in which you have stumbled in thought, in word, and deed. And, and then it terrifies you to think of all the ways that you don't know. In which you've stumbled in thought, word, and deed. And yet, Christ never once stumbled in that way. And yet, He's declared guilty. And He's treated as guilty. That you might be declared righteous and covered in his righteousness. And then, of course, our Savior is looking and understanding this faithful covenant keeping God. He says, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued in you. They were, they were not, they trusted and were not put to shame now, think of this. You know, you know those fathers about whom he's talking, don't you? 
They trusted and were rescued. They cried. They were not put to shame. And the Lord upheld them. But they certainly weren't righteous. It's because now. Now in the work of Christ that's effectual to them. You understand how they could be. Well, they could be upheld. And so Christ goes on and he uses some language that we are accustomed to. But I am a worm and not a man. Now, it's not just it's not just a worm that that's the picture here. It's actually the same word that. That you remember, don't you, back in Exodus when they were supposed to gather just enough for that day? And they went out and they got manna and and some were just not sure and their faith wavered and they didn't trust God and they scooped up more than they needed. And what happened the next day? They opened their baskets and what was there? Well, worms, but not worms. They were maggots. Worms can be cute, You know they are. Everybody likes an earthworm, but nobody likes a maggot. They're they're repulsive. They are despised, but they are also among the weakest creatures there are. And here's Christ, and that's what He says of Himself. I'm a worm and not a man. He is that which is detestable and, and despicable to all Man, he is undergoing the agony of the wrath of God. And there he is on the cross. And there he is as repulsive to people. As someone opening up a a canister and, and there are maggots there. That's how they treated Christ. Those who encircled him like those like those bulls, they they were repulsed by him. They were made by him and yet they were repulsed by him. The one above all who had beauty and glory and honor and splendor and was worthy of being admired. Was hated and detested and treated lower than the lowest and treated as if he was filth under their feet. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin did this. Our sin did this. The one who made angels and men those who are just a little lower than angels. You know, that's what the Scripture says of us. He was made lower than a worm. Treated and despised in that way. Listen to Spurgeon here. This is a lengthy quote, so give it attention. This verse is a miracle in language. How could the Lord of glory be brought to such an abasement as to be not only lower than angels, but even lower than men? What a contrast between I am and I am a worm. Yet 
such a double nature was found in the person of our Lord Jesus when bleeding upon the tree. He felt himself to be comparable to a helpless, powerless, downtrodden worm, passive while crushed and unnoticed and despised by those who trod upon him. He selects the weakest of creatures, which is all flesh, and becomes, when trodden upon, writhing, quivering flesh, utterly devoid of of might except strength to suffer. This was a true likeness of himself when his body and soul had become a mass of misery, the very essence of agony. In the dying pangs of crucifixion, man by nature is but a worm, but our Lord puts himself even beneath man on account of the scorn that was heaped upon him and the weakness which he felt, and therefore he adds, and am no man. The privileges and blessing which belonged to the fathers he could not obtain while deserted by God, and common acts of humanity were not allowed him, for he was rejected of men. He was outlawed from the society of earth and shut out from the smile of heaven. How utterly did the Savior empty himself of all glory and become of no reputation for our sakes. Here is your Jesus. Here is your Jesus, rejected by his creatures, separated from the Father, and here on the cross there are all the concentrated powers of hell. This is the hiss of the serpent. This is the strike at the heel. And here your Jesus. Jesus is under a constant barrage of hellish hatred and lies. The creation rebelling against its creator. And yet he hopes in God, doesn't he? Verse 9 and 10. After those who are around him mock him, scorn him. After they abuse him and they wag their heads. After they would ridicule him and treat him as filth. He trusts in the Lord, doesn't he? He trusts in him because he came to do his will. And now you get to the you get to the surrounding. He's looking down from the cross and it says many bowls of Bashan encompass me. Strong bowls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening, roaring lions. You understand it's poetic language. Bulls don't eat prey. They don't have any prey. And yet, and yet here they are. These are the leaders of his day, his Roman executioners. Then as he has every drop of energy, every drop of life pushed to the max, he's poured out like water. And all his bones are out of joint. His heart is like wax. It is melted Within my breast, his strength, he says, is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. This is your Jesus. This is your Jesus. This is what he endures for you. What did Christ endure 
agony. What did he endure? Rejection. What did he endure? He endured hell. That we might not. And so you see, there are those who still wag their heads at him. Those who are outside of the covenant. Those, those religious work uh, mongers, if you will. Uh, they are the dogs there. So what are we to do with this? This is Christ on the cross looking out. This is Christ on the cross. You understand his thoughts. This is him speaking. What are we to do with this? We are to hope. We are to rest. That God Himself would go to such extravagant lengths to demonstrate His love to sinners, to those who are naturally, as Spurgeon said, less than a worm. That, that He would do this. We are to rest in this. That He would go to such lengths should tell us that there is nothing within us that can strum up enough strength, enough enough works enough righteousness no no we need the work of this one who endured this that we might not endure it and so we are to rest in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ that he has accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation what are we to do with this believe 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 on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe that He was torn that you might be healed. Believe that He was forsaken that you might be accepted. Believe that He died that you might have life. Believe that He who would endure this to save you will never let you go. And this was his suffering. That you might not walk through that same suffering. And so what are you to do with this Jesus? Adore him. Thank him. Praise him. Believe him. And receive him. That you may never be forsaken of God. But that you might be received. And then as you will see. On Sunday. He is raised to life. That you might be certain. That you might be certain that all that he has done for you. Well it's finished. It is accomplished. And it is certain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, help us to have a sight of, of the suffering of Christ for us that we might be those who live in gratitude. Let us believe that the work of Christ is sufficient for sinners. In Jesus' name. 